Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Buffy and the Art of Story Season 4. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you love creating stories, or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series, and the QC Davis Mysteries, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 2 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Living Conditions. In particular, we'll talk about, was Buffy purposely written to act out of character, and is that justified? Very few clear major plot turns until we get about two-thirds through the episode, and then the story rockets ahead. Audience misleads, repeated exposition, which is unusual in Buffy, and not much in the way of an episode subplot, but lots of groundwork laid for future episodes. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. I didn't love living conditions, but as Buffy's roommate Kathy would say, it'll be super fun to talk about it. The original air date was October 12, 1999. It was directed by David Grossman and written by Marty Noxon. We start with the opening conflict. That is the conflict that draws the reader or viewer in. It might relate to the main plot, it might not, but it is meant to engage us. We're in Buffy's dorm room with her roommate, Kathy, and these first three lines do so much to set the stage and give us conflict. There is a very distinctive song playing in the background, very upbeat, and Buffy says, wow, this music is so... So, and Kathy says, I know, this song is super fun, isn't it? And Buffy answers, you bet. It just gets funner and funner every time you play it. So we know a lot here right away, and it escalates immediately because Buffy starts to leave, saying she's going to get coffee, but Kathy keeps talking to her. She didn't realize Buffy would be coming and going at all hours. She shows Buffy a system for logging every call. And those of you who have always had cell phones, probably not that familiar with this, but it could be a real source of contention as uh, phone calls on landlines were very expensive. And then Kathy asks if Buffy drank some of her milk. Buffy apologizes. She used a little in her coffee, but she's really sorry. Kathy's very passive aggressive. She says it's fine. She just wanted to make sure it was Buffy and that they didn't have a thief. And Buffy says, like who? Sid the wily dairy gnome? Finally, Buffy gets outside and meets Willow, who consoles her and jokes that Buffy thought her days of sneaking out of her room were over. A nice little bit of backstory we get in there through some minor conflict for new viewers. And there were some who started watching during Buffy's college years because the show really gained momentum during the previous season. Buffy hears something in the wooded area where they're walking, but Willow doesn't. Buffy's a little disappointed. She wanted to do some monster fighting rather than going back to the dorm room. The scene switches. There are demons chanting. They wear hooded robes and they have glowy blue eyes. And the subtitles tell us that they think that she's the one they've been looking for. Willow heads in the other direction to go meet Oz and Buffy says, wish me monsters. And in some classic Buffy irony, a demon watches Buffy from behind the bushes. It's three minutes, 51 seconds in and we go to credits. So this opening drew us in on two levels, personal Buffy adjusting to a new roommate and being secret identity girl again, and a little bit on the demon side, suggesting that there is in fact a demon that Buffy will need to fight. When we return from credits, we are nearing 10% through the story, and that is where we almost always see a story spark or inciting incident. 
the incident that gets the main plot rolling. So here at 4 minutes 41 seconds in, Buffy hears another noise. She looks around, but it's just Kathy. She bounds onto the path, very perky. If Buffy's getting coffee, she will too. Buffy, not all that thrilled, but she doesn't have much time to process that because the demon lunges. Buffy pushes Kathy off the path, fights the demon. It runs off, and Buffy turns and helps Kathy up. And Kathy says, what the blizzard was that all about? Buffy claims it was a guy who tried to take her backpack. First, Kathy worries that Buffy could have gotten hurt, and then she is upset that her sweater was ruined. It got mud or grass on it when Buffy pushed her over. Back to the two demons with the glowing blue eyes. One says she may be the one pointing after Buffy and Kathy. The other says they need to make sure, so follow her. So the spark here could either be the demon lunging for the girls or identifying she's the one or Kathy appearing. But Kathy appearing just adds to this Kathy-Buffy conflict that already started. So my impression on first watch was that the demon storyline was going to be the main plot. In the next scene, Buffy visits Giles. She is outside his apartment. He runs into the courtyard in sweatpants. So another costuming change for Giles. As with last week, he is much less formal than we are used to seeing him. On Still Pretty, Lonnie Diane Rich calls him Sweater Giles in this season for all the times that we will see him in sweaters. Right now, he's in sweats and breathing very hard. Buffy's surprised, and he claims that he often runs, but how hard he's breathing suggests to me that that is not so. She also notes uh, she has picked up his mail, that he has a motorcycle magazine, and she teases him about she hopes he's not having another midlife crisis. She barely survived the last one. She then tells him about the demon and about Kathy tagging along. Our first instance of a little bit of a character telling us something we've already seen, but it's quick and I don't think you could avoid it here because Buffy has to tell Giles. He interrupts to say, you took your roommate patrolling with you? And Buffy responds, well, I invited the whole dorm and she's the only one who could make it. Giles tells her, well, best to discourage Kathy from doing that in the future. He starts to head inside, but Buffy asks what he's doing that day. He begins to tell her and then pauses and comments that it occurs to him she's never once asked about him and wonders if she's okay. Buffy protests saying she asks about him all the time, but then she fesses up. She wants to stay at Giles's place until Kathy is gone. Giles tells her living with someone is never easy, especially for an only child. Everyone has idiosyncrasies, and Buffy will need to learn to adjust. And Buffy says, or I'll end up an old lady who can only live with cats. Giles says something like that, and there's a little irony there since Giles has lived alone the entire time that we have seen him. Buffy, though, vows to do better and be a good roommate. We switch to Kathy in the dorm room alone. She's scrubbing at the stain on her sweater and is clearly frustrated. She goes to Buffy's closet to take out something of Buffy's to wear. We are already 10 minutes, 25 seconds in. Kathy sees Buffy's bag of weapons on the closet floor with stakes and a crossbow that she looks at. And there's suspenseful music as she examines it. And we're worried about her finding this. But then Kathy just shrugs and pushes the bag back in. On the first watch, I am pretty sure I thought this was just part of Kathy's general sort of oddness but it does foreshadow the end and the fact that Kathy doesn't really belong in this world so maybe she doesn't know what is typical and not 
At nearly 11 minutes in, there's a long line at the cafeteria. Buffy sees Kathy farther down and cuts in line to avoid her. So she is hiding her face behind her tray, and she squeezes in ahead of this uh, dark-haired, nice-looking guy, Parker. He asks if she's uh, evading an ex-boyfriend or a loan shark. Buffy tells him both ugly breakup and laughs and she apologizes for cutting in line and he tells her to stay he'll watch her back as they go through the cafeteria line parker guesses she's a freshman by the way she chooses her food and he shows her how to use her dining hall card to get three meals out of one and therefore keep more cash from dad And he says you have to polish off enough for the whole day in one sitting and chipmunk food for future consumption. He's hiding things in pockets and backpacks and he jokes about for anything like gravy, you really need Ziploc bags. I didn't go away to school. I don't have any experience with this. So my question is, is this stealing? I get that I guess you could get one whole meal, which I guess was whatever you put on your tray, but it it seems like he's stealing food. I don't know. Maybe that's the point. Anyway, Buffy invites him to sit with her friends. He says that he would, but he has someone waiting for him, but they exchange information on what residence halls they live in. Willow, Xander, and Oz sit at a table, and Xander says, hey, say hi to the non-college guy. And Buffy responds, not that I mind, but don't non-college guys usually populate the non-campus? Xander jokes around. Willow comments that Xander is also there to eat off her plate. And he jokes again, sort of, about his parents feeding him, but only for a price. This is a fun interchange. It explains why Xander's there, but I also wonder if it's here to give us a subtle contrast between Xander and Parker. Parker is hiding food or stockpiling food, not because he doesn't have enough, but because that way he can save the cash that I guess his dad has paid for on his dining card and have more spending money. And Xander, you get the feeling, yeah, you know, his 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 parents probably do have food at home, but maybe not always enough or not always reliably. Willow says Parker was cute, and Oz and Xander agree that the drive-by, flirt, make a good impression, leave is a classic, but that Parker will be back. Kathy joins them at the table. And we're at 14 minutes in now. Typically by this point, we would have seen what I think of as the one quarter twist. This is the first major plot point, usually a quarter to one third through in a screenplay, almost always a quarter way through a novel, where something comes from outside the protagonist and spins the story in a new direction and raises the stage. And we we haven't really seen that yet. And 14 minutes is almost a third through the episode. They're typically 43, 44 minutes long. So here, I'm still not sure we have it because uh, Kathy joins them at the table. Buffy is clearly not thrilled. She says, you all know my roommate, Kathy. And then she asks Kathy, is that Buffy's sweater? And Kathy says she didn't think Buffy would mind since Buffy ruined hers. And Buffy points out she was saving her from, and Willow jumps in and says, a bear. And Buffy says, mugger. But Kathy figures she and Buffy are almost like sisters. They're living together in everything, so why shouldn't they share clothes? Buffy kind of mutters, it's fine. She just wished Kathy had asked. As they are talking, Kathy bites into a hamburger and drips a big blob of ketchup on Buffy's very pretty sweater, which has some embroidery on it, and Buffy glares at her. So is is this a plot turn? Does it escalate things? Maybe, because from here on, we see Buffy not just being irritated with Kathy or having trouble adjusting, but starting to be mean. In the next scene, uh, Buffy sits on her bed. She's on the phone complaining to Willow about Kathy. She refers to them as cellmates. 
Willow tries to sympathize, but she also tells Buffy it's hard for Kathy. She doesn't know anyone at school here the way Buffy does. Given last week's episode where Buffy had such trouble adjusting to the university life, you would think that she would have a bit more sympathy. And I I think this probably is a bit of a callback to that to emphasize to us how much Buffy is acting out of character here. Kathy returns to the room. Buffy hangs up. Not before we see that Willow's dorm room uh, is full of people in noise. Willow can barely hear, so she is dealing with her own issues. Kathy reminds Buffy to log her calls, and then she sits on her bed and flosses her teeth. Something, uh, it's not clear why she didn't do in the bathroom, but she will do this a couple times during the episode. It irritates Buffy, who goes to the dorm room-sized refrigerator. When she opens it, she discovers that everything inside it is labeled with Kathy's name in magic marker, including each of the eggs. So Kathy is escalating this roommate tension, too. Kathy closes the window near Buffy's bed. Buffy opens it again. Kathy gets mad at finding chewed gum on the nightstand and blames Buffy. Buffy has been chomping on gum and now she swallows it and claims she doesn't know anything about any gum. This detail bugged me. I understand Buffy is uh, acting out of character on purpose here. She starts out irritated. She goes to impatience and frustration. She's going to get mean. And that fits what we find out is happening to some extent. But the chewed gum does not fit for me with who Buffy is. She, We have never seen her bedroom be anything but uh, neat and she's slept on like shams that are coordinated with her bedspread. Her clothes are always fashionable and rarely ripped or stained even when she's been slaying. And I just don't buy her spitting out her gum and sticking it on the nightstand unless she did it just to irritate Kathy. So I suppose that that is possible. They both turn off their lights We're almost 17 minutes in, there's a flash of light, and we're in a dream. One of those demons with the glowing blue eyes opens Buffy's mouth, sucking light out of her. There's a scorpion crawling on Buffy's bare stomach. Buffy wakes up, somewhat panicked, and Kathy is sitting up looking at her. It's daylight, and Kathy says, do you always make that noise when you sleep? We cut to a commercial. We return as Buffy finishes telling Willow, Giles, and Oz her dream. So there's not too much repetition here, just enough to let us know what Buffy's talking about and segue to where Buffy says, and the worst part was waking up to Kathy. Oz disagrees. He thinks the demon pouring blood down Buffy's throat was the worst, which nicely gets in another detail through a minor bit of conflict. But Buffy disagrees with him, saying that the dream was just a dream. Kathy is real. Giles suggests it might be more productive if they try to figure out the meaning of the dream. Kathy walks up and overhears. She says it's neat if Giles can interpret dreams. Buffy introduces them. We get a little bit of humor, and I think the writer's having some fun when Willow adds, he's our grown-up friend, Uh, not in a creepy way. Kathy asks, can Giles read her dream? And she starts telling about it. As she mentions the demon, Oz guesses that there's also a scorpion, and he claims he's just a good guesser. Buffy, though, is snippy. Kathy says, sounds like somebody woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. And Buffy says, and guess what? You were next to it. After Kathy leaves, Giles says, you know what this means. And Buffy says, yes. Not only does she take my sweater, but she horns in on my dreams. She goes on in a rant, but Giles cuts her off and says if she and Kathy are sharing a dream, maybe something happened to them in the woods. Buffy tells the group to do the brain thing, and she'll go to class. And Oz says, which could also be construed as the brain thing. Another great Oz line here, and we get a lot of them in this episode. One of the things I really like about it. 
After Buffy's gone, Willow comments that she was bordering on Cordelia-esque. A nice Cordelia reference, as with last week. To my best recollection, we don't hear as many references to Cordelia later in the season, but I think in the beginning, the writers wanted to call back to Cordelia. They didn't want her just to disappear, as if the core characters didn't remember her or never knew her. Willow speculates maybe part of the trouble is Buffy is not sleeping well. Giles says to let him know if she, um, and Oz says, hits the red zone. And Giles says, yes, looking worried. We're now 20 minutes in. There's a scene by a fire. The demons are talking uh, in their own language. So we get subtitles again. And one of them says they were right. She's the one. The other says they're uh, preparing to summon the Great One. This is one of several demon fire scenes, which give us a little information, some of which is misdirection, and hint at danger. But for me, the more I see these demons hanging out by the fire and talking, the less concerned I am about them. So it doesn't, for me really keep that tension going because we're now almost halfway through and I'm waiting for that demon plot to get rolling. We switch to Buffy. She's outside her dorm room door, the music, Kathy's favorite song, again playing through the door. Buffy takes a breath, so we get the impression she is going to try to stay calm. She walks in, and Parker is there. He's half sitting, half lying, sort of lounging on Kathy's bed. Kathy sits there with him, and they are talking about divas. He tells Buffy he stopped by to bring her some Ziploc bags for the cafeteria and Kathy says Parker was just going to leave his number and go but they got to talking and she continues he's such a blast and time just flew and Buffy says time really how much time Buffy seems very much like herself and a little disappointed and hurt but not immediately mean or angry Some writers in the audience asked me about book marketing. Because I know not all of you write or publish, I'll be quick on this. If you want to learn more about my experiences and what I've picked up along the way, you can check out writingasasecondcareer.com slash marketing or look at the publishing menu item on writingasasecondcareer.com. For in-depth marketing or publishing courses, I have not created any yet, but I recommend Joanna Penn's Of the Creative Pen, and that's pen with a double N. I love her upbeat attitude, the clear way she presents, and how adaptable everything she shares is, whether you're on your first book or your 14th. You can check out her courses through writingasasecondcareer.com slash pen, that's P-E-N-N. I am an affiliate of Joanna's, so I get a small percentage if you sign up through my link. But I recommend her courses to people all the time and did so before I was an affiliate because I have taken them and found them so useful. But if you prefer, you can find them at her own website, thecreativepen.com. If you do want to use my link, you can check the show notes or go to writingasasecondcareer.com slash pen with a double N. We are nearly at the midpoint of the episode in terms of time. And here we almost always see either the protagonist making a major commitment or suffering a major reversal. I don't see either one here, at least not in a major way. If we see the main plot as Buffy's struggle to adjust to having a roommate or simply Buffy versus Kathy, We have a little bit of both things here. At 21 minutes, 24 seconds in, Parker and Kathy are joking around about how much time passed. 
and they already have inside jokes. Kathy pretends to be mad when he reveals something she said. She kind of pushes him, and Buffy gets upset. She tells them if they're going to wrestle, do it outside. She needs to study. Parker apologizes and heads for the door, and Buffy stops him. She says she's sorry. Can they do it another time? He smiles and says for sure, seeming very understanding. After he leaves, Kathy and Buffy spar about Parker. The argument goes into sharing again. Buffy puts a padlock on her closet door, a great action symbolizing how much she is not willing to share. And she opens the window again. And Kathy says, I'm cold. And Buffy says, well, I'm hot. Deal with it. I have a little sympathy for Kathy here because I am always cold. It would be very hard for me to have a roommate who needed the temperature to be chilly all the time. Kathy tells Buffy her problem is she's spoiled. Maybe everything revolved around her where she used to live, but it's share time now. And at 22 minutes, 47 seconds in, Buffy says, fine, I'll show you share time. Now, this next moment could be a commitment by Buffy. The previous was a bit of a reversal that Parker seemed more interested in Kathy, at least for the moment, than Buffy. This could be a commitment because it's where Buffy fully commits to just pretty much being awful. For that to work, though, we have to see Buffy's quest as either confronting Kathy or showing she can be more unreasonable than Kathy because she opens Kathy's milk, drinks it straight out of the carton, gulping it and spilling a lot of it on herself. And again, it just seems not at all Buffy-like. I can deal with Buffy becoming more unreasonable or meaner, but I just don't see her pouring this milk on herself. I think if Xander did it, she would tell him he was gross. We switch to Willow and Oz. They are walking to Willow's dorm room, and Willow is worried about what kind of demon puts nightmares into people's heads. And this highlights for me part of why this episode lacks momentum. We've seen these demons talk about she's the one and calling the great one. But so far, all they've done is startle Buffy once, fight a little and run off, one of them did, and cause some bad dreams. So it's hard to feel that they are that threatening. The demons feel like a side note, and it turns out they are. They're a small part of a Kathy subplot, though we don't know it yet, and I'm not even sure it qualifies as a subplot. So subplots are secondary or subordinate plots that don't overpower the main plot and usually operate alongside it. Sometimes they intersect with it as they do here, and they don't always have all the major plot turns that I look for, but typically we see a story spark, some kind of significant midpoint, and a resolution. And I, I just don't know that we have that here. We do start some really good season subplots in this episode, and I'll talk about that more in Foreshadowing. But I think here, both our plot and this small subplot don't have a lot of power. Willow tells Oz Buffy is not being herself. If she didn't have this English paper to write, Willow would be with her right now doing the girly best friend thing. And Oz says, well, he can do that. And Willow says, really? And Oz responds, well, I'm not saying we'll braid each other's hair, probably. But, you know, I can hang with her, watch for signs that she's going over the edge. Willow thanks him, and she starts to open her door, uh, saying, And if you need me, I'll be... And we hear all this loud music and voices. She shuts her door and finishes at the library. We switch to Oz outside. He's walking along a path on the campus, and a young woman walks toward him. As she passes, he hesitates as if he noticed something, but it's not clear what. The two of them keep walking away from each other, but they look over their shoulders at one another, both looking somewhat puzzled. We're now at 24 minutes, 15 seconds in. Buffy is complaining to Oz about share time and relaying her conversation with Kathy and then says she did this. 
uh, and Buffy mimes punching. And Oz says, so you either hit her or you did your wacky mime routine for her. Buffy tells him she did neither, but Kathy deserved it. And Oz says, no one deserves mime, Buffy. She goes back to raving about Kathy, telling Oz about the labels. So again, in this scene, um, I love it because we get this great Oz, but we don't learn anything through this dialogue that we don't already know. She is telling Oz things that we have seen. It does, though, escalate because Oz asks her if all this ranting might be scaring off any demons. And Buffy says he's right, and for a moment seems on the verge of some sort of revelation about how she is letting her anger get out of proportion. But then she goes into a louder rant about how now Kathy's affecting her work, and in a fit of rage, Buffy destroys a bench. And Oz says, on the plus side, you killed the bench, which was looking shifty. And Buffy responds, This isn't funny, Oz. Something has to be done. And Oz says, agreed. So this moment, which is nearly, uh, is about 26 minutes in, feels more like what ought to have been the midpoint commitment. This is major. Buffy is saying something has to be done. And I can't remember if she kicked or karate chopped this bench, but she destroyed it. So this tells us Buffy poses a real danger to Kathy, and she is not at all seeing that this is a problem. So that feels like a major reversal and a major commitment, but it is late in the episode. And I feel like if it were the midpoint, that would give this episode more momentum. The problem is, I don't know how you would do that, because once Buffy hits this point, it almost has to resolve fast from there, because if Kathy is a normal human, Buffy could kill her just like that, if if she's of a mind to do it, and she seems to be. On the other hand, if Kathy is not a human, if she has super strength, We're going to have to find that out almost immediately when Buffy confronts her. So I feel like that was likely a challenge for the writers. How do you have this major turn that raises the stakes without being almost at the end of the story immediately? So we now go to the dorm room again. Buffy watches Kathy cut her toenails. We get Great sound work here, very exaggerated, the sound of the toenails clipping and hitting the floor, booming when Buffy taps her pencil on her book and Kathy glares at her. Kathy puts her music on again. Finally, Buffy goes to bed. As sort of fun as that scene was and it will lead to something, it did feel to me like more of the same. And then we get more of the same dreams because Buffy again dreams of this demon with the glowy blue eyes. There are markings on Buffy's bare stomach. The demon inhales gold light from Buffy's mouth. This time, Buffy wakes up startled and Kathy is still asleep but wakes up a couple seconds after Buffy also seeming startled. As I'll talk about a bit later, this is some misdirection and I don't think that it fits what we ultimately find out is happening. At 28 minutes in, It's daytime. Kathy is complaining to Willow in the hall that Buffy is awful. She leaves her gum all over. She's secretive. She comes and goes at all hours. Willow tries to empathize while encouraging her to talk directly to Buffy. Kathy doesn't want to do that. She thinks Buffy is not quite normal. Buffy rounds the corner and Kathy leaves. Buffy's upset with Willow for talking to Kathy, but Willow tells her this has to stop. Willow knows it's hard. She has a sucky roommate, too, but Buffy is having none of it. She says it's clear to her now what she has to do. She says, Kathy's evil. I'm an evil fighter. It's simple. I'm going to have to kill her. And we cut to commercial. We come back at 29 minutes in and Buffy tells Willow Kathy poses a danger to everyone. She shows Willow a baggie of Kathy's evil toenails and explains that she measured them at night and in the morning and they grew in between after Kathy cut them so she knows Kathy's a demon. 
Even with this escalation, and those toenails will be important, we have gotten three scenes or parts of scenes that really tell us the same thing. Buffy slays the bench and says something has to be done. So we know she is heading this way. Then she says, I'm an evil fighter. I'm going to have to kill her. We cut to the commercial, and then we come back, and Buffy essentially says the same thing, though she gives Willow what uh, she sees as evidence, these evil toenails. Willow is terrific here, though. She pretends to see Buffy's point, but suggests Buffy talk to Giles first just to be sure. And Buffy says, well, absolutely. And she laughs a little and says, I wouldn't want to do anything crazy. After Buffy walks off, Willow calls Giles, tells him Buffy's feeling a little homicidal, so she told her to come see Giles. Buffy walks into Giles' apartment, and a heavy net drops on her. Xander, Oz, and Giles capture her and tie her up. It's a little hard to believe that Buffy can't fight them off, but I suppose they took her by surprise and there are three of them. Though I think we have a little of what we saw with Angel last season. He's usually quite strong, but when it's convenient, throwing a net over him works wonders. Giles says he's trying to stop Buffy from making a terrible mistake, but she tells him about the toenails and also that Kathy irons her jeans. She's evil. She has to be destroyed. She listens to Light FM over and over love songs, nothing but love songs. Giles thinks the demon Buffy met in the woods possessed her. He knows a spell to make it reveal itself, so he tells Xander and Oz to watch Buffy while he goes to get supplies. Somewhere around here, we ought to see the last major plot turn. I think of it as the three-quarter turn, though sometimes it comes at two-thirds of the way through. In a well-structured story, it spins the plot in another new direction. But unlike that first major turn, which comes from outside the protagonist, this one should grow out of the midpoint, that commitment or that reversal. So here, it could be Buffy telling Willow she has to slay Kathy. It's a little early, but it, it does spin things. Or it could be Giles deciding that Buffy is possessed. These are both somewhat new directions, neither come from the midpoint of the episode in terms of time. Because remember, there we had Parker and Kathy flirting, that sort of reversal, and then Buffy gulping the milk. But both turns, if that's what they are, do grow from Buffy's something-has-to-be-done moment, that rather late commitment she made when she slayed the bench. So we can see how that led to Buffy deciding to kill Kathy and Giles deciding Buffy is possessed. So now things are moving pretty quickly, at least for the moment. At 31 minutes, 42 seconds in, right about the three-quarter mark, Willow knocks on Kathy's door and tries to convince Kathy that she should leave the room, give Buffy some space. And Kathy says, why should she leave? It's not fair. And she starts going on about how it is to live with someone so troubled who so clearly needs to be in a home, not in a dorm. Anne says she wouldn't put it past Buffy to drop out or do something to herself. Or Buffy might push somebody too far. She has those shifty eyes. And we can see in Willow's face that she is starting to grasp that maybe there is something more extreme about Kathy than just being an annoying roommate, but the phone rings interrupting them. It's Oz. Once Willow learns that Buffy is safely tied up at Giles, at least so she thinks, she tells Kathy she agrees it's not fair. Kathy should just stay in the dorm room right here. Don't go anywhere. Obviously thinking that will keep Kathy and Buffy apart. Buffy is arguing with Oz and Xander and also struggling with her ropes. They go closer to check to see if they're tight enough. Buffy stands and knocks them both out and says, nope, not tight enough, and she leaves. She goes to the dorm room directly and she and Kathy 
face off. So we're only about 34 minutes in, yet this moment essentially starts the climax, which is where our opposing forces have their final clash and reach a resolution. Now we'll have a lot of cutaways that drag this out. It's not so much that I have a problem with the cutaways, but we started this climax really early and it is slow to resolve. I will say that could be because I already know what's going to happen. The first time, it may very well not have struck me that way. The other issue is the next moment feels more like what should have been that final major plot turn because after Buffy kicks the rug to annoy Kathy, Kathy hauls off and slugs Buffy really hard. So this reveals that Kathy is something other than human. She has superhuman strength, and she's also reacted to an annoyance with violence. So that is a pretty big plot turn, but it it feels odd because it comes essentially at the beginning of this climax rather than earlier. They fight. Buffy yanks off Kathy's face, revealing glowing blue eyes and a demon face. Also a turn and also still part of the beginning of the climax and final confrontation. We go to a commercial, we come back, we see the fire again, we see the demons again. A little bit more happens because a larger demon manifests with great drama. And then we cut back to Buffy who says she knew Kathy was one of the demon things. Kathy tells her to shut up and let her finish her ritual. If you enjoy supernatural thrillers, check out my Awakening Supernatural Thriller series. In the first installment, a young woman finds her life at risk over a phenomenon she cannot understand. Tara Spencer is at a loss. She has recently learned she's pregnant despite never having had sex. Her fiancé breaks up with her, convinced she cheated on him, and even her parents and best friend doubt her story. But when Cyril Woods... A member of the Brotherhood Religious Order claims to believe that Tara is still a virgin. She feels she has finally found understanding. The Brotherhood sees Tara's child as a possible new messiah. That is, until they learn she's expecting a girl. This revelation convinces them the child is actually the Antichrist, and they are determined to prevent Tara from giving birth at any cost. As the forces aligned against her close in, Tara's only hope for survival is to solve the mystery of her pregnancy. But who is her friend and who is her enemy? Will Tara find answers before it's too late? You can find the Awakening series under Supernatural and Horror on my website, lisalily.com. It's a four-book series, and right now, ebook editions of the first book are free. We then cut to Giles in the magic shop. He's reading about a ritual involving the ingestion of animal blood, and he says... I guess to himself, because we don't see anyone there, or maybe he's on the phone, and he says, Buffy's nightmares, and we cut to Buffy saying, we're real. So I do enjoy these cuts back and forth, the way they are cut together so well. Kathy now seems a little more human. She says she's sorry, but she left her dimension to go to college, and the other demons are after her to bring her back. So this is that subplot, sort of, that I mentioned. We didn't know it was happening, but that is what those demons by the fire were talking about. Kathy, making sure it was her, they are the ones sent to bring her back. We cut again to Giles, who talks about how the demons can hide as other beings, but their own can recognize them by the lack of a soul. And Kathy then tells Buffy that tonight, when the others come looking for Kathy, they will take Buffy because Buffy no longer has a soul. She has been taking Buffy's to conceal herself. And Buffy says, well, thank God I don't have to watch you floss anymore. And Kathy says, and I won't have to live with a slob. There's more fighting. Kathy throws Buffy into the closet. Buffy tries to strangle Kathy with her sweater. 
as Xander wake up, Willow walks in and finds them. Giles returns. There is more telling of things that we as the audience already know. But he does add that what persuaded him is that the toenails regenerate if you destroy them. So he is sure that Kathy is the demon. It is rare for Buffy to have the characters repeat things that we already know. One of the things I love is how well the writers use the dialogue to give us just a line or a few words to cue us that we're coming in at the end of an explanation of something that we've heard so that we don't get that repetition. So I'm, I'm not sure why it was left in here. All I can think is perhaps the episode was running short, so those, those scenes were included. Or perhaps the writers were not sure that it was clear. Since we're doing all these different cutaways, they wanted to make sure that the audience understood. Whatever the reason, Giles says he found a spell to reverse it. Willow and Giles will do the spell. Xander and Oz should go help Buffy in person. So looking back to that story spark or inciting incident, it's clear now that the main story here is Kathy stealing Buffy's soul. So I don't know what the inciting incident or story spark was for that, because we never find out when that started. We don't know if Buffy's early annoyance with Kathy was just normal roommate annoyance and the first time the soul stealing started was that first dream that we saw, or whether Kathy was already doing this before the episode began. Now, if we weren't at the climax before, we are definitely there now. Kathy and Buffy's fight escalates. It's very loud. A guy from down the hall opens his door and says, do you mind? People are trying to study. Giles and Willow say the words of the spell at Giles' apartment. We cut back to Kathy, who is trying to get Buffy to open her mouth. Kathy says, let me finish, and Giles says, let it be finished. And Buffy's mouth finally opens, but the glowing stream of light goes the opposite way than before. Now it is going from Kathy back to Buffy. Kathy falls away and says, how did you do that? So Buffy has prevailed. She has gotten her soul back, not exactly through her own efforts, though some of it is. It was the toenails, after all, that convinced Giles, and it was Buffy who figured out she should measure and keep the toenails. And her fighting Kathy slowed things down enough so that there was time for Giles to figure things out and do the spell. So while in a single story, typically win or lose, you want it to be from the protagonist's efforts. Otherwise, you risk having a weak protagonist. But in a series, there is room for uh, the protagonist occasionally to be saved by someone else. You can always have help from friends and allies, but there's room for the friends or allies to essentially save the day when it's one episode of many. And in Buffy particularly, I think that works because so much of Buffy is about the power of the group and friendship, not the lone heroes. So that part works fine for me, though it probably does double down a bit on the feeling that this episode is not that powerful. We're now moving to the falling action part of our story where we tie up any loose ends and we resolve subplots. And I think of this moment where the giant demon appears in the room while it is dramatic. I put this in falling action because the demons coming after Kathy is a subplot here. It's subordinate to the Buffy-Kathy conflict. And here it is resolved. This giant demon calls Kathy young lady is angry at all the trouble she's caused, and he's taking her home. I don't remember if there's something in the dialogue that tells me this, but I get the impression this is her father. And Kathy, there's some humor here. She says, I'm 3,000 years old. When are you going to stop treating me like I'm 900? Oz and Xander burst in, too late to help. A portal in the floor opens. Kathy screams as it sucks her in, and the other demon jumps in after her. 
I kind of wish that some of that time that we spent with repeated demons by the fire and dreams and exposition had done something to humanize Kathy because I think I would have felt more for her here. She is in a tough spot. Obviously, I disagree with her choice about what to do about it. We then switch to a much happier scene. Willow has moved into Buffy's dorm room, thus solving her roommate issues as well. They have music they like playing, and Willow is hanging a Dingo's Ate My Baby poster. That's Oz's band in place of Kathy's poster on the wall with Buffy's help. Willow apologizes for doubting Buffy, but Buffy says she's completely forgiven and that except for the soul-sucking, Kathy probably was a pretty regular roommate. Willow points out that's a big exception. Buffy says she's just glad the lack of soul was what made her no-fun Buffy because she always thought she was pretty easygoing. Willow grabs a sandwich off the dresser, asks if Buffy is going to finish it, and takes a bite before Buffy can answer. We zoom in on Buffy, who narrows her eyes as ominous music plays, and we go to credits. I am surprised I did not like this episode better because it's written by Marty Noxon. As with the freshmen, though, I was less than thrilled with this, partly because of the lack of an engaging and powerful villain throughout much of it. It isn't the demons who don't do much anyway, and by the time we know it's Kathy, the episode is nearly over. We could see it as somewhat like the freshman, Buffy warring with herself, But since she doesn't recognize it or really try to combat it, that's not very intriguing. In The Freshman, she understood her self-doubt. She wasn't sure how to deal with it, but she did get that's what was going on. And here, Buffy doesn't seem to have any real self-awareness. Also, unlike The Freshman, I don't see character growth here. So it makes it feel like a filler episode. However, Living Conditions does do some pretty amazing things to set up season subplots or story arcs. So I'll talk more about that in spoilers. So I would not ever want to skip it. I already mentioned the issue I have with the pace being slow to me. I think it's that repetition of the demons the exposition, and that we don't see clear major plot turns for most of the episode. When we do finally get one, we then go to this climax. I also have some theme and character questions. This idea of Buffy becoming mean. Also, she is clueless as to what is going on with Willow, so she has lost her empathy. And the explanation for that is that her soul is being gradually sucked away from her. Even from what we know at this point in the series about the role of a soul or the loss of the soul, I am not sure that explanation holds. Angel became evil without his soul, but he did retain certain key character aspects, including his obsession with Buffy. We also saw that with Drusilla, before she became a vampire, she had this second sight, and she also had this sort of ethereal quality, and those things remained even when she lost her soul. So I feel like that sense of Buffy being a slob I don't know why having a soul would affect that. Also, why does losing her soul make Buffy mean and intolerant, but gaining Buffy's soul doesn't make Kathy kinder or more empathetic? You could say, well, Kathy's a demon, so having the soul doesn't make a difference, but... If we go back to Angel, he's still a vampire when he gets his soul, and it makes a huge difference for him. That is part of where the episode falters a bit, too. We just have to accept that this is what this does to Buffy. 
And maybe when it comes down to it, last episode, it was hard for me to watch Buffy having so much self-doubt. This episode, even more so, I don't enjoy watching Buffy being mean to Kathy and about Kathy. And I don't enjoy her being so clueless about what Willow is going through. Willow makes that reference to her being Cordelia-esque, but Cordelia... One, she could be uh, sort of cuttingly witty when she was mean, which gave it some humor. And Buffy here doesn't really have that. She also seems to lose a lot of her wit. And Cordelia was not our protagonist. She wasn't meant to be that character we empathize with. That being said, I like that the show is willing to experiment with the idea of what would happen to Buffy, what makes us who we are, and willing to show the protagonist in a light that does not make us feel a lot of sympathy for her or show the protagonist as something other than the hero. Then there are the audience misleads. The demon dialogue is a bit of a misdirect, but it works. If you go back and watch it, knowing what is going to happen, everything the demons say fit because they only say she might be the one, follow her, and it could be Kathy or Buffy. We just think that it's Buffy because we're used to thinking of Buffy as the only one. But the dreams, when Buffy has that second dream with the scorpions and the demon sucking this light out of her, she wakes up and Kathy is still asleep, which does not fit that Kathy was doing this ritual. Maybe Kathy's faking, but there's nothing to indicate that. And even watching again, I don't see that. And the first dream, when Kathy talks to Giles, she asks him to interpret her dream. Is she doing this as a fake out? It could be, but that really doesn't make any sense. Kathy has no reason to have to admit that she had the same dream Buffy did. All she had to do was just not say anything. And if she wanted to know what Giles was thinking, if he was getting a clue about her, she could have just said, oh, well, what did you think Buffy's dream meant? Like, how do you interpret dreams? So I I feel like the whole Kathy's doing this ritual and it's Buffy's not really dreaming, that internal logic doesn't work. So I don't like that type of a mislead. And my last thought on the episode before I go to foreshadowing, which I think is really great here, perhaps this episode works better for people who did live in a dorm. I never did that. I often feel Buffy works best for me when it works on a metaphorical level. And certainly the show was trying to do that here, this metaphor of living with a roommate, this soul-sucking idea, this adjustment. And so I'm curious whether did the episode, if you went away to school, you had roommate troubles, did this episode resonate more for you? If you would like to share that, I would love to hear about it. You can tweet me at Lisa Emerson Marie Lily, L-I-L-L-Y, hashtag Buffy Story on Twitter, or email me Lisa at LisaLilly.com, or you can look for the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page. So that is it other than spoilers. If you are not sticking around for that, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you will come back next Monday for the harsh light of day when Spike returns to Sunnydale and Buffy sees Parker again. And we are back for spoilers. One that I really like is that there are only child references here. This is one of a number of them that we'll see this season about, oh, maybe it's a good thing Buffy was an only child or the world revolving around her, all of which foreshadows how hard it will be for Buffy when Dawn arrives next season before Buffy realizes that the world has been altered. She has a very hard time with having a little sister while Buffy's memories are altered to believe that she always had a little sister. I think there is always some discord within her, some part of her 
that knows that she was an only child and now she's not. So all of this foreshadows that that is perhaps an issue for Buffy, including that last moment of the episode where Buffy glares at Willow, who bit into her sandwich. I think it is mainly there for humor and fun, but that could also emphasize that sharing does not come easily to Buffy. Though I don't quite buy that Willow just started eating the sandwich before Buffy answered, but that is a minor thing. A little bit of fun foreshadowing that I very much doubt was intentional, but I like that Buffy says she's avoiding a loan shark. And then next season, we will see an actual loan shark demon who is coming after Spike. Not Buffy, but Buffy ends up fighting him. The truly great groundwork here is for Parker and Buffy. I was delighted and amazed when I saw how much here is foreshadowed about Parker because I remembered their first meeting, him being or seeming, you know, kind of fun, good sense of humor. He helps Buffy hide from Kathy. It seems like he's going to be a pretty fun guy to have around. There's good chemistry there. And on first watch, I took her reaction to Kathy and Parker as a little bit of an overreaction and understandable disappointment. Plus, it was obscured by the whole Kathy-Buffy conflict. But when you look at it, knowing what's coming, there are so many hints here. Parker is flirting with Buffy in the lunch line, but then he says, oh, he'd love to join her, but he has to meet someone else. No reason to assume it's a girl, but later, given what happens later, I mean, it probably is. He probably set up one young woman to meet for lunch, and he's picking up another in the lunch line. Not a crime, but it does set the stage. Then his flirting with Kathy, because it really is pretty amazing. He has just met Kathy, and yet already there is almost a bond between them. It shows what a good manipulator Parker is because, oh, they fell into this conversation about divas, which I don't know, is that what Parker's really into? Maybe. We never hear that mentioned again. They also had this conversation about hockey. They have this inside joke about whether Kathy only likes it because of the sweaty men. And this is a very manipulative technique that uh, salespeople sometimes use to make people feel as if they know them. You repeat things the other person said. You create these sort of inside jokes. If they're interested in something, you draw them out on that topic. I mean, those can all also be nice, genuine ways to connect with someone, which is why I'm not suspicious of Parker the first time around. But when we find out what he's like, you know, this is what Parker does. He is really good at it. He will try it later, even with Willow. So a lot here to suggest to us what will happen with Parker. Also, even that he came there to talk to Buffy, nothing wrong with falling into conversation with Kathy. He certainly isn't committed to Buffy somehow at this point. But Kathy and Buffy, soul-having or not, are fairly different. Their look is different. Their personalities are different. Their interests are different. And yet Parker quickly uh, connects with both of them and I think was equally willing to pursue things with Kathy until Buffy showed up. Then we have this lovely moment of foreshadowing with Oz and Veruca. We don't get her name, but this is the young woman who they crossed paths, and both of them clearly noticed something about the other but weren't sure what. Major foreshadowing of the episode where Oz discovers that she, too, is a werewolf wild at heart, and ultimately it leads to him leaving Willow and the show. And I love that we get this early moment here. And later, Veruca will say, I sensed you. I sensed you were out there even before I knew you. And this certainly underscores that. 
And of course, there is the foreshadowing of the theme of exploring what does it mean to get a soul, to lose a soul. We did some of that with Angel, but we will look at it so closely with Spike through two seasons, four and five, and much of six, almost all of six, with him not having a soul, yet having this chip that will inhibit his behavior. And what is the difference between having your behavior influenced by this negative stimulus and having a soul? What is the role that it plays? And we'll even further explore that on Angel in that last season when Spike goes to Angel and we get that comparison of these two vampires with souls who have different backstories and how they got it and it affects them differently. And it's so fascinating. So I love that we have this Look in this one episode about having a soul. What does that do to empathy? But that is where some of my trouble comes because we'll see with Spike, long before he gets his soul, he had great empathy for people and insight into people. Didn't stop him from killing them, but he understood them. We also will see how much of his personality carries over from before he became a vampire, from his humanity to being a vampire, which is part of why I don't quite buy Buffy being so unaware of what's going on with Willow, so unconcerned, because we see that Spike has this great love for his mother. They're very close, and that continues when he's a vampire. It does not go away. I'm looking forward to examining all of that. And while I'm not sure that this episode really fits with what the show ultimately says about a soul, I do like that it starts exploring that and uh, foreshadows that we are eventually going to go much deeper into that. So that is it for this episode. Thank you again for listening and a special thank you to patrons who go above and beyond and support the show. And speaking of both Spike and Parker, we will see them both next Monday in the harsh light of day. So I hope you will come back next Monday for that. If you're enjoying Buffy and the Art of Story, please write a review, share it on social media, or tell a friend. You can also support the podcast on Patreon and get access to bonus content, including Q&As about Buffy and about writing, a breakdown of the pilot episode of Jessica Jones, and coming soon, a story analysis of the first episode of Angel the Series. Follow the link in the show notes or go to lisalilly.com slash Patreon. You can also find my fiction and back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com. You can also listen to the podcast episodes on YouTube. So check out lisalilly.com slash YouTube. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Редактор